Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Thank you guys for being accommodating and for being flexible with us while we transition into uh, a new space. It's been, depending on what aspect of the sanctuary, in some ways it's been 40 years since there's been any kind of really remodel. There has been new carpet put in back in the early 2000s, like 2000, 2001, but um, uh, it's it's going to be a renovated space, and so I appreciate you being willing to meet back here for at least a couple weeks. I found out, too, Dave Wilson, who is our resident historian as well as a pastor on staff, who's been around since the foundation of this church in 1907, 1908. <laughs> right, Dave? Where are you? There you are, yeah. Sorry, he hasn't been around that long. However, he knows a ton of history about this space. He said... The last Sunday of this month will mark 40 years since the dedication of the sanctuary. And it looks like, and don't don't quote me on this, and Dave's probably like, no, don't tell him yet. But it looks like we might be in that space now 40 years later dedicating the new space to God. And that, that will be an awesome time. But I want you to also know that God doesn't care where we worship. If you read John chapter 4, the woman at the well, you get very clear picture that when Jesus was talking to her about worshiping God, he says, there will come a time when you will worship in spirit and in truth. Because there was this debate going on between the woman at the well and Jesus. She was of the Samaritan group that worshiped at Mount Gerizim. And Jesus was a Jew who worshiped in Jerusalem. And when he started calling her out for her sins, she changed the subject to worship. And Jesus says, oh, there's coming a time. It's not going to be a place. It's all about a person. And worshiping in spirit and in truth is what this is all about. So I appreciate all that to say in this little bit of an intro coming into the sermon today is thank you for your flexibility and being willing to meet here. Those of you meeting at the tables, thank you for meeting at a table, all right? We've been, we started a series last week on grief, and it's called Good Grief. Yes, it's after the grief, uh, the good grief of Charlie Brown. Do you remember him saying, good grief, right? And uh, do you remember Lucy? She had a psychiatry booth, and she would charge a nickel for advice. Do you remember that? I want you to understand, when we use a theme like this, it's not to make light of grief. What I want you to understand is the connection that grief has a purpose for good, if you're willing to go through it all the way. And as I said last time, last week, grief is not effective when you get stuck. Some people get stuck in the grief, uh, the, the phase called anger. Some people get stuck in the place called depression. Some people get stuck in uh, denial. Some of us just get stuck. 
Grief is not a place to get stuck. It is a journey or a valley to go through. And on the other side of that is a thing we call acceptance. We accept the fact that we can't change what's happened. We accept the reality that what has happened is not going to change who we are really if we're following after God. Yes, there is a wound that's left from a tragedy, a brokenness. It could be not just the loss of a loved one, which we expect to see uh, grief kind of uh, working through somebody's life, but it's a loss of a, a job. It's a loss of income. It's the loss of any number of things. It's a loss of your health because you've been diagnosed with a chronic disease that there's no cure for. We grieve in many different ways, and we all grieve differently. I've had opportunities to sit down with people who uh, have gone through a death. And uh, I remember one specific instance, and it's been since I've been here, and uh, there are no names involved in it, and it's not that bad of a situation, except there were two siblings. A parent had died, an older parent, and these siblings are middle-aged. And the one sibling came in and talked to me and said, I don't understand why they're acting this way why they're being so hard-headed, and they're acting like this isn't a big deal. And I said, have you given consideration to the fact that maybe your sibling is in denial? Or maybe they've already gone to the point of acceptance because they were grieving the loss through this chronic illness of your parent. They're grieving differently than you. And instead of pointing a finger of condemnation, how about opening an arm of comfort or at least of communication? So we all grieve differently, okay? That's the lead-in for today. I want to read, read to you in just a moment. Don't put it on the screen yet, but I'll give you time to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 3 through 7. I will be reading from the New Living Translation today, so if it reads differently than your version, that's okay. We get a broader perspective if you have a different version of Scripture. I want you to understand translating from Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic into English. There's some words that don't translate equally, and so you might be thinking, I've got the wrong Bible. No, you don't. There are some good translations or some better translations, but some things don't translate equally in languages across, uh, across language barriers, right? So, for instance, how many, I'll give you just a real quick for instance, how many words do we have for love in the English language? Yeah, I'm holding up a finger. One. Uh, so you can love a hot dog. You can love your wife. You can love your pet. You can love the way the seat fits your bottom and your back. You can love your car, your job. But those are all different kinds of love, correct? Okay, so there's one, one letter, or excuse me, one word for love in the English language. How many words are there in the Greek language for love? Four. And they are all suited for different situations and different circumstances. All right, so I, I say that to say there are some things that translate equally over and others that don't. So all that to say with the different versions of Scripture, it's not that you have the wrong version or I have the wrong version. Okay, just settle that for a moment. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Before we get there, I found this illustration I thought was pretty cool. And you may not think it's cool. It's kind of a dad joke, but... Bear with me. Uh, there was a bulletin board out in the shop of a local steel mill that carried this notice. And it's in all caps, large print, 
In case of accident or injury, notify your supervisor immediately. So some prankster decides in small lettering underneath that sign to write, um, he'll kiss it and make it feel better. So in, in case of accident or injury, notify your supervisor immediately. He'll kiss it and make it feel better. Now think of that in a steel mill where you're going, oh, he's grubby. He's just real tough guys, right, rogging around. Or ladies. I don't want to be racist, racist, sexist here. So you know what I mean. Anyway, okay, let's backpedal. All right, 2 Corinthians starting with chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Here's what Paul says. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Do you catch what he said there? We can comfort one another, but who is the source from which all comfort comes? Anybody want to tell me? God is. God is the source of all comfort. If we are able to comfort someone else, it's because the source of all comfort is coming through us to another. Okay? So, again, who's the focus on? Not me him okay verse 4 he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others so what is the purpose of him comforting us what's it say oh it's really way down there if you can't see if I'm blocking the way he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us now do you notice that there's probably a breakdown in how this happens in your life? I go through troubles. I don't feel comfort. You ever not feel comfort when you're going through a really rough time? You actually feel the opposite of comfort. You feel desperate, hopeless, frustrated, angry, any number of things you feel, right? We'll get to that in a moment. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more... God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Wait a minute. I didn't sign up for suffering. When I got saved, I signed up for freedom. I didn't sign up for suffering. Nobody showed me the fine print. Actually, you know what? If you read scripture, there's no fine print in there. The problem is what we get from many of our pulpits is the comfort part, but not the suffering part. And so you have a lot of disillusioned people in churches that when bad, bad things happen to quote-unquote good people, we start to throw up an accusation toward God because I didn't sign up for this. I thought it was going to get better when I started to serve you, when I gave my life to you, when I became a new creation. I thought for sure things were going to get better. We're going to tackle that in just a moment. Verse 6, even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. So Paul is talking from a place of experience. Paul and his colleagues that are traveling on missionary journeys through the Mediterranean Sea to places like Greece and Asia Minor and all these different churches they were establishing and encouraging, where Paul writes almost every one of his letters in these different territories in our New Testament. He's saying, listen, we're going through quite a bit. We're being cursed at. We're, we're being threatened that we're going to lose our lives. And in many cases, we are being beaten up physically and bruised. Do you know Paul was shipwrecked? 
that he was bitten by poisonous snakes, that in one city, let's just call it Butler, I'm not going to call it that, but let's just bring it close to home. Let's say Paul in modern day was visiting Butler, and Butler really didn't like the message that he was bringing because we worshiped a different God or we did things differently than Paul was telling us was the right thing to do or the right way to do things. And so Paul comes into Butler, and the people get so incensed in this city in the New Testament that they drag him out of town. And they don't just beat him up. As was the custom of Jewish tradition, when you were blaspheming God or cursing God, it was customary to take large stones, however heavy you could pick up, and throw it at the individual. Have you ever been hit with a softball, a baseball, or anything like that? Have you ever been hit with a rock? I tell you what, I was about eight years old. I had a friend of mine who was about maybe a year younger than me. And we, this was right before we moved to the lake that I grew up on called Harrington Lake. You can look it up. It's just a little bitty old lake in the middle of central Kentucky. One of my favorite things to do besides swimming and water skiing and those kind of things, even at that age, was to skip rocks. And so we were having a challenge. How far can we skip a rock? How many skips can we get? If I get more skips than you get, then I win. And so we were mastering the rock skipping process. And you're going to hold it a certain way. And you have to line yourself up almost parallel with the water so that you're kind of running it. Skip, skip, skip. And it go forever. We decided a different challenge for this one day, that we would get bigger rocks. And let's see how heavier, the better, the bigger. And we're going to try to throw them like a Frisbee because you can't really throw them like this when you're eight, nine years old, right? And so we're going to throw them like a Frisbee to see how far they would skip and how many skips we'd get. We were just upping the ante now. We were competitive. So here's what happened. I'm standing on this side. He's standing right here. And he's just hurling them, and then I'm over here hurling them. And then one time, after I just finished, I'm standing there straight looking at the water. He's hurling one, and it's pretty big, and he releases a little too late. <laughs> yeah, and it hits me square in the head. I got blood gushing down. It didn't feel good. I got just a small glimpse of what it meant to be stoned with an actual rock. And I can't imagine, I don't mean stoned, you know what I mean? The small ears in here, we don't want to do. So anyway, but the reality is I got hit and it was, you just can't describe it. I don't, I don't say you go out and try to find out what it feels like. But now being an adult and reading passages of scripture, where they talk about stoning. Stephen, the first Christian martyr in the New Testament in the book of Acts, who was stoned for his faith in Jesus Christ. When he is dying, he's suffering for Christ. Same this passage is telling us. The pastor is telling us we will suffer for Christ, maybe even to the point of death, but God will still be our comfort. And as he is dying, do you know the words he utters? It's the exact same words that Jesus uttered from the cross. Father, forgive them. But they don't know what they're doing. Is he a better man than me? Or you? A better person? 
No, the difference between Stephen and us a lot of times is the faith and the trust we have in God, even to our dying breath when things aren't going the way we had planned. Verse 7. Oh, actually, let's back up. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. Do you see what he's saying there? Verse 7, we are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort that God gives. Biblical scholar and author Paul Barnett explains that in this short paragraph, these, these four verses, in this short paragraph, the verbs and the nouns for the word comfort, which presupposes a suffering that's going on, occurs ten times. So the word comfort in the Greek occurs ten times. For the word trouble, three times. For the word suffering, four times. Directly or indirectly, suffering is referred to 17 times in five verses. 17 times, I said four, five verses. 17 times in five verses, words that are directly or indirectly referencing suffering. Again, I've said this before. This is not a great tagline that you want to put on your billboard of your church. Hey, come to Jesus Christ. You'll suffer more, right? It's not a great church growth thing. It's just not. Hey, come to Jesus. You get to deny yourself every day, right? Take up your cross and follow me. But here's the thing. It is in our sufferings, and this is something the early church learned very well. It is in our sufferings that God is often the nearest. If we're able to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and the sensation and feelings of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It behooves us as believers in Christ to dig deep and to go the distance with God and not give up when the going gets tough because it's when you give up that you give the enemy his victory over you rather than God his victory over you through the cross of Christ, which is the epitome of suffering. We suffer for him because he suffered for us and we know that through our sufferings there is comfort because our suffering isn't the last say on our lives. And so some of you who are suffering through the process of grief because you've lost somebody near and dear to you through death or a tragic circumstance or you've gotten bad news about something or divorce is happening and it's racking you to the core, there is hope because there is a comforter, that even in your darkest moments, he is there walking through that dark valley of the shadow of death with you. So what are the points I want to give you this morning? The main key point is this. God's comfort to us in our suffering helps us to be a comfort to others. It's okay to go through grief and suffering and to just be alone in that for just a moment. I know what it's like to have a tragic circumstance rock you to the core, and you just want to be alone. There's nothing wrong with that. However, 
there is something wrong with being alone forever in your suffering. Do you understand what I'm getting at? I know people who are going through, have gone through suffering, and they will not let anybody into that space. As a believer in Christ, you weren't created to be alone, to suffer alone, to celebrate alone. No matter what your personality type, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, those things are off the table. The reality is you were called to go through suffering with others. Because it's in that community of faith that comfort is breathed into our lives. That God extends his hand and says, I'm still here. I haven't forgotten you. I'm with you all the way. Suffering was not a part of God's original design. I say this often at funerals. Death and sorrow and sadness and tears and suffering and pain, none of that was a part of God's original design. Go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and just read those two chapters. You will see God's perfect blueprint and design for humanity. Where did it go off the rails? If you read one chapter over, Genesis 3, you see it's when the humans that God created decided to do what he said not to do. And guess what happens even today in 2022 in November? All across the globe. People do what God says not to do. Or they don't do what God says to do. Well, I don't want to worship a God like that. Why not? If he, is, if he is a God of truth and of love, is he not worth following? Is he not trustworthy if he is those two things? If in him there is complete truth and in him there is complete love, why would he not be worth following, first off? And secondly, what would your life be without him? Not much better off, right? Actually, quite a bit worse off. God is the source of all comfort. That's what I said a moment ago. It's the first point. God is the source of all comfort. God is the source of all comfort. Author Ernest Best writes, This comfort is not the removal of suffering, nor the assurance that everything will turn out all right in the end, nor that others have suffered worse things, nor that it will soon be over. Did you hear all of that? Let me read it one more time. This is Ernest Best, biblical scholar. He says, this type of comfort that Paul talks about in these few verses is not the removal of suffering, nor the assurance that everything will turn out right in the end, nor that others have suffered worse things, nor that it will soon be over. You know what? I've had some rough bouts in my life. I didn't grow up in a perfect home with everything happening that worked out for me and my wife and I have this conversation is I'm what I typically do is I compare my hurts and losses and tragedies to others and I say well there are people that have it worse off so I dismiss the stuff that God is wanting me to work through the pains the frustrations the sufferings do you know I'm 47 years old and I have dealt with stuff and there are other things that I'm not willing to deal with I'm guessing there's some of those issues in your own life, no matter how old you are. Because you're not willing to face 
the sin in your life or to face the reality of your current situation. And so you convince yourself in this false sense of humility that, oh, somebody else has got it worse off than I do. See, this is one of the enemy's worst devices to get you to hold on to this pain and suffering and to realize or to make you think, excuse me, that there is no hope. Well, other people have it worse off than I do. I see this as a pastor. I've pastored in four different, excuse me, three different churches in um, three different states in the United States. And it's the same everywhere I go, no matter the subculture that lays within those communities, is that people refuse to go through the process of grief and come out on the other side of acceptance because they've convinced themselves that their situation isn't as bad as somebody else's. Now, it can be the flip side, too. Somebody else could say, I've got a hangnail, and it's the worst ever, and I don't care if your mom died. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen people like that, too? It can be the complete opposite. And those people just don't have a sense of self-awareness. They just don't. They are somehow blocked from seeing the pain and suffering of the world around them and that theirs isn't the only pain and suffering in that hangnail that they have. But there are those that have gone through some deep and dark tragedies that don't want to deal with it, and they stuff it because they've convinced themselves it's nobody else's business, I don't want to deal with this, or I think I've dealt with it in my, I hear this, I've dealt with it in my own way. Okay, no, 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 no. Have you dealt with it in God's way? You can deal with it in your own way and still be stuck. Are you dealing with it God's way? Well, Brandon, what is God's way? I can lead you to the place where God's way is found, but it takes you picking it up and reading it. Well, where do I start? I could give you some passages. But you have to be a student of the word. I'm not going to proof text saying, here's a verse of comfort here, and here's a verse of comfort here. You need to get into the word and study to show yourself approved. I promise you, all the answers to your questions will be answered there. And the ones that are those gray areas that cannot be answered will pale in comparison to the truth you've received through the word. I've mentioned this over and over again. Have you ever gotten a 1,000 or a 1,500-piece puzzle? Yeah? How many of you are puzzle people? My father-in-law is a puzzle fanatic. He got into that as a retiree. He loves to do it. He puts that clear film over it so it doesn't come loose, you know. Now, it, some of them can be really hard. But have you noticed when you get 75% of the puzzle together, the picture starts to take shape, right? 50% it's taking shape. But when you get about 70, 80, let's, get, let's say you have 90% of the picture, all the pieces in, and then you realize that the manufacturer left out the other 10% of the pieces. Okay, you type A personalities hate that, I know. But let me ask you this question. Even with the 10% missing, do you catch a big part of the picture? Can you tell for the most part what's going on? Do you have enough to go on to be able to deduce certain things that are true about what's in the picture? 
You see, this is the difference between us and God. God sees all, knows all, experiences all. There is nothing that evades his attention. He's got it all figured out. But we who are finite individuals, who are blocked by this thing called sin and death and all of this brokenness that lives in this fallen world, we see 90% at best. But we see enough to have enough trust and faith in a God who knows all and sees all so that those pieces that are missing don't cause us to stumble. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, for now we see through a glass dimly or darkly. Do you know what he's talking about? He says, you can't see it all. You can't see what I see. But if you trust me, I promise you someday you'll see in the end what it was all about. I am trustworthy and I am good no matter your suffering or circumstances. So God who not only is the source of all comfort, secondly, is a God who comforts us so that we can do what? Here's the thing. I know some people that are so stuck in suffering and stuck in a, in a place of grief that they've not come through to a place where they're willing to comfort anybody else. They have allowed the enemy to so steer them to a place of stuckness in depression, anger, denial, that they can't see outside of themselves. But God can set the captives free. Luke chapter 4, we have Jesus read. I said this last week. Jesus gives his mission statement in Luke chapter 4. As he reads from the book of Isaiah, I think it's chapter 60 or 61. Don't quote me on that. Look it up for yourselves. And he's reading from this statement. The Spirit of God is upon me, for He has anointed me to bring sight to the blind, to heal the suffering, to bring comfort to them. I'm butchering that. I just want you to know that's a paraphrase. Read it for yourselves. So what was Jesus' point? He came not only to bring life, but to bring healing, to rectify and fix what was broken in Genesis 3 when the first humans ushered in sin and death into the world. And Jesus, once and for all, who hung on the cross as the perfect, non-sinful being, suffered more than you and I could ever imagine for crimes he never committed. We are all guilty of something. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glorious standard of God, Paul tells us in Romans 3.23. So none of us can stand before God saying, here I am, I'm perfect, take me. Jesus was the only one. And he incurred the judgment and wrath of God on the cross, which dealt once and for all the final death blow to sin. And the only way out of that is through him. This is why Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he's sitting with his disciples at the Last Supper, getting them ready for what's going to happen in just a few hours at his arrest, his trial, his beating, and his crucifixion, says, Hey guys, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father, you know, Yahweh, except through me. 
And if he suffered as greatly as he did, why do we expect that we wouldn't suffer at all for his causes? God comforts us so that we can comfort others. Romans 12, verses 14 through 15, another one of Paul's letters. Listen to what he writes. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Do you do that? Or when somebody's happy, are you envious of them? Why do they always get the best things? Why do they never go through trials and troubles? Look at all the junk I'm having to go through. And look at them. They get everything they want. You ever said that? You ever felt that way if you've not articulated it? You see, in the community of faith, it's not about somebody else getting what they don't deserve. We all deserve death. That's why God calls this thing salvation grace because it covers a multitude of sins. We are all on the equal playing ground with God. He is no respecter of persons. He has no favorites because he loves us all. That's why he died on the cross. And so as a community of faith, instead of pitting ourselves against one, can I just tell you, the world is a master at this, but the church is not too far behind it. Because I see people and have seen people in the church compare themselves to somebody else who's sitting just across the pew, and they get this hoity-toity little attitude about them because they don't like what that person's getting, and they're not getting it. Or they don't like the circumstances of that person's life, and they like the and they feel like their circumstance. God, I've served you so faithfully. I've seen them do bad stuff. You know what I'm talking about? And we do this comparison. What is the enemy like for us to do? He likes for us to get the focus off of him and onto each other, because when he does that, there's not much else he has to do. See, we make a miserable mess of things ourselves by just taking one step in the enemy's direction by comparing ourselves to each other rather than comparing ourselves to Christ who is incomparable. And then when we compare ourselves to Jesus who is incomparable, we have no other, no other stature by which to approach him but this. Do you see what I'm saying? But when I'm coming to somebody else in the church, oh, I can come at them equal, right? No. You can never compare yourself to somebody else who's on the face of the earth. The only person comparable is to Christ. And in that perspective, we are all humbly receiving the grace if we surrender our lives to Christ. So that when that truly happens and we get our focus on the right person and on the right things, then we can truly rejoice with somebody else who's rejoicing, who's getting something that maybe we haven't gotten, but it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of eternity. And we can weep with those who are truly weeping instead of secretly inside saying, well, they deserved it. Do you know what I mean? In the church. I'm not talking about outside the world. I'm talking about in the church. When somebody gets knocked down a peg or two, and we've said those things before, I just want them to get knocked down just a peg or two. I don't want them to get knocked all the way, just, to, just a little bit to humble them, Lord. Where's our focus again when we do that? It's definitely not on Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, verses 4 through 7. We don't delight in keeping a record of wrongs. We just don't. We don't keep a record of wrongs. 
We delight when the truth wins out. And lastly, believers in Christ share in his sufferings. I want to read you a few passages of scripture, not out of context. I challenge you every time I read a passage, write it down if it's not written in your notes. And go back and reference it later. Read the chapter that it's in, the chapter before it, and the chapter after it to get the whole context. To check me to make sure I'm giving you the right information. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. Again, the upper room experience at the Passover meal. I just quoted John 14. He's having the meal with his disciples. John 13 is where he washes the disciples' feet. Now John 15, he's giving them some final words of encouragement. But guess what these words of encouragement sound like? Listen, John 15, starting with verse 18. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. He's talking to his disciples. Who are his disciples? Yes, the 12. But disciple is just a student, a student of Christ. Guess what? You and I, if you are a believer in Christ, we are disciples too. And this word is still relevant for us. So let's hear what Jesus has to say for us now. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you if you were one of its own, if you actually belonged to it. But you are no longer a part of the world. When you become a believer in Christ... Paul tells us we become new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. We are no longer associated with the things of the world. We are associated with the kingdom of God. And we are a citizen of that kingdom above any other nation this world has to offer. We carry the banner of Christ as believers in Christ. And he's saying, if you were a part of that world, they would love you. And here's the crux of the issue. We don't like to suffer And we don't like to be hated. The truth be known, there's something inside each of us as an imprint of the image of God that hatred is not a part of what we desire to be reflected toward us. We want to be loved and liked by everybody. And some people who even say, I don't care what anybody else thinks, deep down actually do. And I'll say that till I'm blue in the face. There's a part of us outside of the pridefulness of our own human nature that doesn't want to be hated. And this is where the enemy often gets us. Jesus says, I chose you to come out of the world. So guess what? It hates you. Do you remember what I told you, he says? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And I want you to know that slave master talk that he's talking about here is not 1860s United States of America. It's a whole different interpretation and is not through that. That kind of imagery should not be read into this passage. It's a different sermon for a different time. Suffice it to say that's not what this is talking about, what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, I'm your leader and you are my followers. And if they hate me, of course they're going to hate you. And if they had listened to me, the world he's talking about, they would have listened to you. They will do all of this because of me. They would, excuse me, they will do all of this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me, who is the Father in heaven. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. Do you see what he's saying? He says, 
Those people that are rejecting you, that hate you because of me, they wouldn't be guilty if I hadn't come. You can't be held in judgment to something you have no knowledge of. This, when we raise our kids, we do that, right? When they do something we haven't taught them not to do, can we hold judgment against them? Some parents do, but that's not right. We say, no, 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 don't do that again. Let me explain why. And then you clarify with direct rules as to why you shouldn't do X, Y, or Z. Now, what happens whenever they know the right thing to do or they know they've been told not to take that fork and stick it into the socket, right? First off, consequences are going to show them they shouldn't do that. But the reality is I've told them as a parent not to do that, so now what do I do? It's what God calls judgment It's what and discipline. It's what we call discipline, right? We discipline those we love because we consider the discipline as a means to correct them to get back on the right track. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 13. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you are going through. Is this something strange were happening to you? Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. When is it going to be revealed to all the world? We're coming into Advent season. We're celebrating in just another month this thing called Christmas. What is Christmas special? Why is it, why is it special? We celebrate the time that Christ was born, the first coming. We call it Advent because Advent is the coming of the Lord. Guess what? Did you know we're waiting on a second Advent that'll be better than the first one ever was? The first one was amazing, but the second one puts an end to truly all Seth, sin, sorrow, sadness, pain. Read the last two chapters of the Bible itself, Revelation 21 and 22, read it. Well, an end will come to all suffering. But for now, we wait. And while we wait, we share in Christ's sufferings. But we don't share in the sufferings for no reason. Our reason is because he was hated first. And when he was hated first, we are truly going to be hated if we're living out our faith on a daily basis. Romans 5, 3 through 4, we can rejoice too when we run into problems, problems and trials for we know that they help us to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And one last one before I go to the conclusion. James 1, 2 through 4. You've heard this often, I'm guessing. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of all kinds or of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for what? Okay, a couple of you have heard this verse before. I'm guessing more than just a couple of you. Consider it all joy. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. That sounds sadistic, doesn't it? Until you hear the other verses that follow it. For you know that when your faith is tested, 
your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. See, this is how we can be perfect and complete in Christ. For when we go through the sufferings, as he went through sufferings, it burns off all that chaff that we carry along with us so that we become purified as gold and silver is purified in a fiery furnace. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we might feel scared, but we're still willing to face the flames because we know that whether or not he rescues us from the fire or not, we are not going to turn and worship what the world has to offer. As our worship team comes forward, let me, let me close with this. Comfort me, Lord. This is a poem. I didn't write it, so if you don't like it, it's not my fault. Comfort me, Lord, and pay my bills. Comfort me, Lord, and cure my ills. Comfort me, Lord, and remove my fears. Comfort me, Lord, and dry my tears. Comfort me, Lord, and increase my wealth. Comfort me, Lord, and preserve my health. Comfort me, Lord, and plead my case. Comfort me, Lord, and enlarge my place. Comfort me, Lord, and tell me why. Comfort me, Lord, and set me on high. Comfort me, Lord, and do what I say. Comfort me, Lord, and do it today. Well, the Spirit listened as I uttered my mind. He said not a word as I pleaded and pined, and he spoke in the language of conviction, saying comfort isn't comfort in the absence of affliction. As believers in Christ, we should be confident that as we share in each other's sufferings, tragedies, and sorrows, we also share in the comfort that God gives. And we can be confident in the comfort that he gives because he truly is the one through who Christ shares in our griefs and our sorrows. Isaiah tells us he is one who is acquainted with our griefs and sorrows. It's not like he doesn't know what we're going through. He's been through it and has run the race with endurance. And now, as Paul says, we are called to run the race with endurance as well, as if to win a prize. And the prize that he's called us to is salvation through Christ that isn't a one-and-done deal, but is an ongoing deal. We are not only saved from sin, we are being saved for eternity. We don't have altars up here. And so I would ask that if anything in this message has touched you and you need to pray, um, you could come to the front of the stage. You come to my right, your left. Um, Christy will be up here to pray with you. And I'll be up here to pray with you as well if you need prayer. If you want to pray alone, you can kneel at your chair. Uh, you can come down front here and kneel at the front of the stage. I don't want to inhibit you from doing that. We're kind of doing makeshift transitional stuff, so we're doing with what we have, okay? But I'm asking you, if this message, if God's word has hit you in a way to bring truth and transformation, that you would let somebody know before you leave. If it's brought you to a place where you know you need to pray, and you need somebody to walk with you through this just for this moment in time to get you launched in the right direction come forward and let us pray with you but don't leave here 
having checked off the box saying, well, I did another Sunday, November the 13th, 2022 is in the bag. We're good to go. All right. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. <laughs> it's, it's hard to know that we don't live a life that is without pain and sorrow, but it's comforting to know that through Christ we can overcome the pain and sorrow because it's only temporary in this world. That even if in pain and sorrow our life is taken, as long as we are in Christ as new creations, we will see the glorious face of Jesus in the end. And we will feel the warmth of embrace of that love that so supersedes anything else we could ever experience on earth. Forgive us where we've fallen short, where we've not trusted you, where we put our faith in the empty pieces of puzzle rather than on the bigger picture that we can see. Remind us that you are trustworthy and that you are love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.